And so I was really glad when I got here, opened the order of service, that my name was actually in it, so I guess this is for real. And this time between uh, when the congregation voted and said, yes, Linda, please be our assistant minister, and now it's been a little surreal. It's like a dream. You know those dreams you have um, that you forgot there was an exam and you weren't prepared? It's kind of, it's been like that a little bit. Um, the difference is that it turns out I'm no longer enrolled in school. And even though I'm still a student of life, I have done much to prepare for this time with you. I've known most of you for almost two decades. Uh, some since I finished theological school, and I look forward to getting to know you better. And there are going to be new people that I meet that don't know anything about me. So in this time of sizing each other up, I thought I would go back a little and remind you of some things um, of who I am. And this morning, um, Nancy Rakoff and I were talking, and I was saying this sermon is more a getting to know you kind of sermon. And she said, what, no hellfire and brimstone? <laughs> and no, not today, but next time. <laughs> Well, we're new to each other again. Um, some of you have known me since I walked through the doors on Hamilton. Uh, I began singing in the choir. I hosted Jazz Sundays, uh, served on more committees than I care to count, and then in, eventually ended up being the board president uh, when we went through the process of deciding to move to this site. We have truly been through the good, the bad, and the not very attractive together, but mostly good. I'm aware that some of you know my background fairly well, but many do not, and I think I should bring everyone up to speed a little. And so if some of this sounds familiar, just hang in there for about three minutes and we'll be on to new material. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about my formative years and how they led me to my path of ministry and my past passion for social justice. My family was the only black family in Hamilton, Illinois. It was a little river town. And in the 50s and 60s, it was probably typical of a lot of small backwater towns pre-civil rights era. Consequently, I think you can imagine how my family may have been treated. We were seen as different, definitely undateable, and the stereotypes, even though my parents each worked several jobs, uh, lazy, dirty, a thief, and we were called names. And even right now, the most positive stereotypes no matter how problematic, simply are not flattering. 
And I've told this joke before, but I will tell it again. And that joke has been that I can't sing like Mahalia Jackson. I can't dance like Michael Jackson. And I can't preach like Jesse Jackson. <laughs> and I know that for sure because some of us were um, were at the rally yesterday where he drove down from Chicago. And so there was this famous icon right, right in front of us, and indeed I can't preach like him. I grew up in the Presbyterian Church, and it was a catechism at age 12 when I began questioning why some people were going to hell. And then, of course, at that age, there are some questions you don't know you're not supposed to ask. So when I said, what about before Jesus? Did all those kids go to hell? And what about the kids who don't know about Jesus? Are they all going to hell? And the simple answer was, yes, it's in the Bible. And I didn't have a word for it then, but now I know that that was the day I became a universalist. <laughs> I was pretty sheltered in my life. My parents didn't really want me to, or, or any of my siblings, to know the difficulties of being black in the world. So I was pretty sheltered. And in fact, I was not even aware of who Martin Luther King was until his assassination when I was a sophomore in high school because I went to a school that was also a sheltering kind of school. But I think that night of his assassination was the night that I grew up and woke up. <clears throat> now, as an adult, I found myself involved in multicultural and justice work in Peoria, where I've lived the past 40 years. I retired from Caterpillar after 35 wonderful years. I was happily retired when I decided to pursue my interest in world religions, and that is a plan that went slightly awry. <laughs> so in 2010, I attended an orientation at Meadville Lombard Theological School. Um, there were a few of us there who, who wanted to get a Master of Arts degree, but most of the people there were people who already knew that they wanted to be ministers. And as we were talking, most of them admitted they hadn't had this whispering in their ear or dreams of angels or burning bushes, none of that. It's just that they knew. And after talking and hearing them talk, I realized that much of my life had been like a ministry. And so never having had the thought, never crossed my mind, I signed up. And at some point in the journey, I was asked to describe through metaphor my sense of calling. And, you know, having not seen a burning bush, um, it was kind of difficult. But the response I finally came up with was snowfall. Snowflakes have no power as individuals. 
but as they gather softly, they transform the landscape. Not a bolt of lightning, but a powerful presence nonetheless. So I went to, to uh, seminary in 2010, and I didn't realize how much that was going to change my life. Um, I attended for, for three years, two of those I did an internship in Springfield, and what happened was that there was an actual separation from this congregation because I wasn't here, people rarely saw me, and that changed my relationship with many, many people. Um, one of the things that happens when you go to seminary is that your relationships with those you are closest with do change. And there's also a mental and spiritual interruption during this period as I was struggling in my discernment and growing into this thing called ministry. So that was the journey, and I had no idea that this church, that this moment, was the destination. So here I am standing before you in yet another capacity, taking on a different role. I'm your assistant minister, and I, in the words that we just read, it said, I'm your halftime assistant minister, but I can tell you there's no such thing as being a halftime minister. <laughs> you are in it or you are not in it. Do you know what I love about this church? This is the church that comes closest to making me feel that I am in the right place at the right time with something that I can offer that is appreciated. I love this church because we are trying to live up to our values. We are working toward a better way of living in this world. We show up, we are known for being there when there's a cause that needs supporting. We try to work with groups that have similar values and we try to be inclusive. We want to be the people whose intentions are well thought out and we keep trying even if we didn't get it right the first time. We are not perfect because we're human. We are not perfect, we're human and we are flawed. But our hearts and minds are willing to keep on keeping on. So here we are new to each other, again, keeping on keeping on, on a little different path for me, but one which we can travel together with hope and gratitude. So in almost every new endeavor, there are vows or documents that are signed or resolutions made or a covenant that we establish, like a covenant that we established this morning between you and me. So I have some resolutions and I'm not good at resolutions. And 
maybe you are, but my resolution for this year was to be more physically active. And let me start that right now. <laughs> um, so these resolutions are ones that I, I feel I, I can keep and I hope that you will find that they're ones that you can keep also. I will acknowledge every living thing. I read that, um, was in, came in a group of, car, of motivational cards. I will acknowledge every living thing. And yes, and I do try to do that. I'm from a small town. We always said hello to everyone. You always smiled. Um, I think I still do that. Um, I love to look out to take pictures, to notice something different, to acknowledge the rose, the tree. That's important to my way of living. So those who believe they never encounter people of color, you can just start saying hello to people in line at the store. I will acknowledge every living thing. Clerks at registers, the wait staff at a restaurant, and actually this helps with all people. Um, I'm an introvert, so I know it's not always easy for introverts, but I tell you, you can look up and you can smile, and that's all you have to do to help make the world a better place to be. I will be polite. Okay, some of you are thinking, I'm never rude. Why would I ever make that a resolution? And what I am suggesting is that doing no harm is not the goal. Extend yourself. You may be the only bright spot in someone else's day. I will remember that I am privileged. Last spring, my laptop went up in flames, almost literally. And I had to go to the public library. And even though it was very early in the morning, there were about 20 people there uh, using the computers. Well, I was clearly confused about the protocol. And so a man in that group of people using computers uh, came up to me and offered me help. We got to talking and I found out that he'd had to take a bus and it, it was during that season that was particularly cold and icy last spring. So many, and many of the people obviously, it seemed obvious, it felt obvious that they had no other place to go. So it wasn't until I was asking questions of one of the library personnel that I started to feel patronized. You see, most of the people at the computers were indigent or poor. I heard two men actually talking about their upcoming prison sentences. And I, I was bristling and I, I, I finally began to understand that the reason that I was feeling annoyed and uncomfortable was that that library person assumed 
that I was poor and uneducated. Excuse me. I remembered a meme that I had read on Facebook in, in the midst of this time of upset. And that meme was, I am used to being privileged, I don't want to be equal. I thought it applied to others, but at that moment when I was bristling about being treated as equal to the other per people around me, I realized that that meme applied to me. And I realized to my shame that I was annoyed at being treated as badly as everyone else was being treated. I didn't want to be equal. Would you be all right with getting treatment equal to the disadvantaged in this world? Or do you want to change things? I will show I care. Our own Dr. Linda Lyman, an educator at Illinois State University, she's recently retired, but she's written several books. And one that has always stuck with me is called How Do They Know You Care? In that book, she interviewed Kenneth Hinton, who was president of the Peoria School Board and also the founder of Aleska Hinton Early Childhood Education Center here in Peoria. And Mr. Hinton says that children will let you know when they know you care. So we can't measure our caring or gifts by how much energy or money or time we put into something. In interfaith and multicultural efforts, you may feel that your offerings are going unnoticed. And it may take time, days, weeks, months, even years, for you to get the acknowledgement that you seek. But I think it will help to know that your giving has wings and that your answers may fly back to you in the most subtle ways. You just have to wait for it. I will keep my word, and this is probably the most important thing for me to be viewed as a person with integrity. I also am not perfect. I also am flawed, but this is the thing that I want to be known for, that I'm a person with integrity, that if I give you my word, that I'm going to keep it. It's just simply, I will simply keep my word. This one, I will be ready. And I ask you, if you practice nothing else, just be ready. And I know that sounds kind of vague, but I think that's part of what makes it doable. I'm not telling you how you have to do this, I'm just asking you to be ready. Be ready to speak up, 
to intersect when you see someone else in trouble, to show up, to help, to protect someone, to just be there. Maybe you're just going to stand beside a person that needs your support or your protection. You don't have to say a word often, just be there. And you can make a huge difference in that person's life. So that's it. I will acknowledge every living thing. I will be polite. I will remember that I am privileged. I will show that I care. I will keep my word. I will be ready. And you don't have to remember them. Maybe one or two of them will pop up to the surface. What, but what you do have to do is to have an open heart and a thoughtful mind. Thoughtful heart and open mind. And that is what I plan to remember as I am on this journey with you. In one of her meditations, you minister Jane Ellen Malden says, our kindness affects our lives and it affects the lives of others we will never see. Our cruelty casts ripples that may drown strangers. Whether smashing butterflies or helping a friend, our actions will echo into history. We will not always know the ramifications of our deeds, but they are there. We are surely connected one to another and each of us to the greater world of monarchs and mystery. And yes, indeed we are. You and I are connected. We're together again in a different way. And we are connected in this great mystery called life. Even though we are new to each other again, we share the sacred space. We are stewards, strong in our example, gentle in our guidance, leading with our hearts. We come new to each other in so many ways. Let this union be loving and respectful. Let us be ready for what is to come. Namaste.